The world is crazy, it's pretty clear. You need to know why, how it affects the lives of those we hold so dear. I can't explain everything, but together, maybe we can find our way. Aren't you tired of the violence, the hatred, the racism? We need a brand new day. And what about climate change, housing that's substandard but still unaffordable, and our public education system that favors some and leaves so many others behind? But who's going to pay? And then there are the jobs with wages so low they make you feel worthless as you struggle to pay the rent and all the other bills piled high. Yes, we need a brand new day. Is there enough hope among us to overcome despair? Enough wisdom to overcome ignorance? Enough generosity to overcome deprivation? Enough goodness to overcome all those who claim to be patriots but hate their government? We need a brand new day. That's right, a brand new day. This is Lehigh Valley Discourse, only on WDIY, and I'm your host, Alan Jennings. Good evening. We've got Susan Wilde re-elected to the third term. It's great to hear those words to the United States Congress in November, overcoming the second challenge by her well-funded opponent, Lisa Scheller, as did many of the Republican candidates. In fact, all the Republican candidates, she avoided talking to the mainstream press. So WDIY listeners had no opportunity to hear from her, but we gave that extra time to Susan Wilde, and Susan took advantage of it. Obviously, uh, Susan, you've got, uh, she's kind of a nag, right? I mean, you got to keep flicking her off. You know, she's she's run against you twice now. She's uh, able to spend a lot of her own money because she is the... uh, uh, inherited owner of a profitable company. And um, so I want to first to congratulate you on your reelection. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the, I appreciate your good wishes. I also very much am happy to be in this position and really looking forward to this third term. You know, it takes a while in Washington to really get yourself settled and to know the ways of the institution. And I feel like I'm fully there and able to really work effectively. And of course, we've had our district office team and our D.C. team in place now for four years. So that also gives us a huge advantage going forward. Well, you know, you beat the odds. You know, the the president's party usually loses seats in the House, uh, you know, in the Congress overall in the midterms. That didn't happen as well. It did a little bit in the House, but, you know, we lost the majority. Um, But the economy stunk. You have that historical uh, pattern of losing seats at the midterm. You've got the pandemic. And, um, you know, so under very challenging circumstances, you won. So I'm just wondering if you can share with us how you pulled that off. I talked to you on Election Day, and you were very confident you were going to win. About two weeks before that, you were still freaked out over, you know, what the prospects were. So you've got something going that's right here, Susan. I'm just wondering if you want to share what you think happened that that, uh, pushed you over the top. Well, I'm going to tell you, and this is not just pandering to my team, um, first and foremost, the way you win these elections is you surround yourself with the right people. And that means both on the campaign side and on the official side. And first, on the official side, I will say for the last four years, my district office has just done an incredible job serving the constituents of Pennsylvania 7. I hear from people all the time about issues that they had with delayed Social Security, Medicare benefits, VA benefits, last-minute passports needed, and um, the number one uh, requested issue right now is people who have experienced problems getting their income tax refunds through the IRS. 
And my team takes these these issues very, very seriously. I mean, they treat every single constituent as though they are a member of their own family doing maybe better because we aren't always as good to our families as we should be. But, yeah. you know, really, they really take it seriously. And then on the campaign side, I will tell you, I was fortunate to have a really outstanding campaign manager and a really incredible field team. And for those who don't quite know the difference, the field team is is the the team of people, vast number of people who are out knocking on doors, making phone calls, sending texts. They started working literally last August of 2021, well before the election. And so I think all of that paid off. And I think what you saw in the long run was, and it was a close margin. I, I knew it was going to be a tough race in a midterm year with the president's problems being what they were, which is unfavorable. But I think what you saw overall is a district that believes that it is being well represented. And um, I'm proud of that. And we plan to continue that. Well, um, it certainly is uh, an impressive win. I'm wondering whether you think now going into you know, your next election will be a, what, a fourth uh, election. Do you think Elisa Scheller will run against you again? Or do you think that they'll back off so they realize that, you know, you have some staying power? What, what do you think well, I, happens next time around? I, I believe Lisa Scheller, and let me just say I'm going to give her credit for being a very tough opponent and, you know, a decent human being. And she has publicly stated she will not run again, but she intends to stay involved in politics, but more on the sidelines, um, which could include, obviously, financial support to candidates. But she's made it pretty clear she's not going to run again. But yes, do I think I'm going to have a tough race in 2024? First, let me say, Alan, I have given myself permission for the first quarter of this year to not think about re-election. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but you're probably already year, raising money. I mean, that's just never-ending well, struggle. Uh, you know, it, unfortunately, you are correct that it's a never-ending struggle. You have to raise ridiculous amounts of money. It's to awful. Money. Let, let me give you a number. This number is going to really just knock your socks off. Our race all told between what I raised, what Lisa raised, and what outside groups put in, meaning super PACs, much of it dark money super PACs. The entire race cost $28 million just in Pennsylvania 7. Now imagine, and I can't help but do this, Imagine what $28 million could do here in Pennsylvania 7, if you could just yeah. take that money, capture it, and put it to work here. So, you know, obviously, it's a shame what's happened to our political system. I don't see any immediate chance of that changing anytime soon. Believe me, I say that with great regret. But it is ridiculous how much time members of Congress who have to be elected every two years spend raising money, particularly when they are not self-funders, which I am not. And so I know that at some point later this year, I am going to have to start focusing on 2024. As we said, I'm giving myself a little bit of a breather here because I really want to focus on the work that needs to be done and how I'm going to work in a minority in Congress. But I fully anticipate that in 2024, you know, the GOP super PACs will be coming after me, whether my opponent himself or herself has money or not. You're listening to The Jennings Report on WDIY. I'm your host, Alan Jennings. My guest is uh, Susan Wilde, newly reelected to her third term uh, in the United States Congress. 
the speaker. <laughs> I watched a lot of those proceedings, and I'll, I'll tell you, you know, that is one weird bunch of people. You know, you had Marjorie Taylor Greene slithering into position to make sure the, the cameras caught her in the, um, you know, the Lauren Boebert, Matt Greitz um, screenshot. You know, Boebert behaving like a 13-year-old at a middle school assembly. <laughs> you had the guy who would be speaker, the third most powerful person in the federal government's employee, groveling to people like Matt Gates. Uh, Please let me, you know, uh, be part of this, uh, this stuff. And you had a senior member of Congress trying to gag a colleague and stop what looked like an imminent physical encounter. Do you ever wonder if you've kind of wandered into the white rabbit's um, hole? <laughs> Well, listen, I, you watched parts of it, you said, and I, I was just astonished by the number of Americans who tuned in to C-SPAN. I think C-SPAN has never had such high ratings yeah. in its entire history. Yeah, it's true. Um, but, you know, I was there in real time, and it was a bizarre setting. My feeling when it was all over, particularly the next morning when, well, we didn't get out of there until about three, three thirty in the morning. Oh but um, when I when I finally woke up the next morning, I thought to myself, that was just an embarrassment. Um, and I know that there are people on the other side of the aisle who are trying to portray it as a lesson in democracy that you know this is the way it's supposed to work, and you know that it was somehow attributable to vigorous debate. Well, there was no debate going on on the floor. What we had were individual nominating speeches that just happened over and over and over again. We had 15 ballots before McCarthy was finally elected, but there was no debate going on. It was literally just a free-for-all that was, I think it it reflected badly on the institution. And it, it really concerns me, especially given the nature of the concession that the now speaker agreed to, I'm very concerned about what the next two years is going to look like. I will tell you that I have ambition to continue to work across the aisle. I've made some very good friends on that side of the aisle, which will probably shock you. People that I can text, that I talk to, and we have issues of shared concern when it comes to policy. Needless to say, issues like immigration or reproductive rights, because there's very little to agree on on uh, those kinds of issues. But there are issues. And so I have high hopes of continuing to work in the areas of mental health care and bringing manufacturing back to this country and establishing Pennsylvania 7 as, as literally an innovation hub. But given, and I'm going to work on all of those things. I mean, the people of this district have my promise that that's what I'm going to do. But when you are in the minority, you don't have the ability to bring bills to the floor. You can introduce bills. You can get co-sponsors. You can do all of that. But whether your bill will ever get a vote or not is going to completely depend on the whims of the other side. And so... It's frustrating to me that the issues that we need to work on that are really of immediate importance to this district and to this country, and let's, you know, opioid addiction, substance misuse, that kind of thing, really the chances that we're going to get something done are, you know, well, I guess it remains to be seen, and I'll certainly do everything I can because I'm not interested in setting them up for failure. I think that the best way that I can serve this district is by doing everything I can to try to get things across the finish line. But who knows what that will look like. 
and whether it will happen. Well, so I don't know if people realize that how important it is that, you know, who's in, in the majority. And um, one of the issues is who chairs committees and the chair of those committees mm-hmm. decides on the traffic of legislation. So do you have any idea yet what the committee situation is going to be for you? Are you going to be changing or are you pretty uh, committed to where you are and you want to stay there? What, what, what happens with your committee assignments? Do you, do you, are you, do you know well, yet? The answer is none of us know, although it is slowly evolving, but it depends on what the ratio is on committees. So right. believe it or not, that is exclusively within the jurisdiction of the speaker to determine how many Democrats and how many Republicans are on each committee. And so what that means is that a lot of members who are currently on committees may very well find themselves ousted from those committees because there aren't enough spots for a Democrat on that particular committee. So some of that remains to be seen. I will tell you, as you know, I served as the chair of the Ethics Committee in the last Congress. I am going to continue on as the ranking member in the 118th. That was done by acclamation of my caucus, which I'm very grateful that uh, you could say it's because they think that I did a great job of leading it, or you could say it's because nobody else wants the job, but... um, I think it's really, really important that the Ethics Committee, which is, by the way, a completely bipartisan committee, equal numbers of Democrats and Republicans. So being a ranking member, you have as much power as you do as the chair, um, which is the only committee in Congress like that. And I hope and trust that my Republican colleagues who are on the committee are going to do everything they can to make sure that it continues to be a meaningful committee, because I think it's essential that those of us serving the American people have to be held to the highest standards of conduct and that none of us are above the rule of law. So having said that, in the past Congress, I served on the Education and Labor Committee, which we've got a heck of a lot done. It's been renamed by the Republicans to Education and Workforce rather than Education and Labor. Apparently, <laughs> the word labor is um, in their view. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, let me just point out that we, the Education and Labor Committee in the last Congress, delivered the largest one-time investment in K-12 education ever to make sure that schools could reopen safely. And, and more, most importantly, the students could make up for their lost time in the classrooms. Um, a lot of that money was devoted to catch-up programs for kids who, you know, just had not fared well under the online system. We literally rescued the child care system from collapse. And again, I'm still talking about the Education and Labor Committee. We saved more than one million retirees' pensions and rescued tens of thousands of businesses. Mm-hmm. We passed an incredibly significant upgrade to America's labor laws. And within that committee, we also capped the cost of insulin at $35 per month for Medicare recipients and, and passed that and put it out as part of the Bipartisan Inflation Reduction Act. So I will say... We got an awful lot done. And I have to also mention, I was on the Science and Technology Committee, where our most significant accomplishment of the year was the passage of the CHIPS Act. I mean, Mm -hmm. that may be the most meaningful legislation passed in this country in the last decade, if not longer. And it makes major investments in the development of domestic semiconductor chip manufacturing. And it includes my regional innovation hubs. Act, which is something I'm incredibly proud of, the idea being that we will create hubs around, and by the way, this has all been signed into law by the president, so 
it's not a maybe, it, it happened, and it's just a matter of getting it implemented now. It will put 20 innovation hubs in around the country with partially with resources from the federal government, but also from the state, from private partnerships, that kind of thing. And the idea is to spread the wealth and make sure that we are creating manufacturing hubs throughout the country. Think about where we are here in Pennsylvania 7. We are, first of all, we are close geographically to New York and Philadelphia and ports and trucks can leave the Lehigh Valley and reach two thirds of the American public within a one day drive. It's one of the reasons we have so, so much truck traffic, which isn't always and so many positive. warehouses. Yes. Our geographic <laughs> proximity is really important. But in addition to that, we've got these unbelievable colleges and universities. We've got two outstanding community colleges. We've got great tech schools and we have a private sector that has shown itself to be very, very committed yes. to developing the manufacturing sector. And of course our roots are our roots are in manufacturing. So I am pushing very, very hard for one of those twenty hubs to be located here in Pennsylvania seven. And that's going to be a big focus for me in the first few months of this year. And the good news is I can work on that regardless of whether I can get cooperation across the aisle. I hope I can, because manufacturing in the USA should be by person. But right. since it's already been passed and signed into law, now it's a matter of working with the Department of Commerce. So those are some of the things that we've worked on in committee. You asked me specifically. I'll be happy to update you as soon as possible on committee assignments. Uh, I've also been on House Foreign Affairs, which has done a lot of very important work vis-a-vis Ukraine, and not just Ukraine, many issues around the world. And I have a very, very deep and unabiding interest in foreign affairs. But having said all of that, I'm, I'm trying very hard to secure a spot on the Select Committee, the Energy and Commerce Committee, and we'll see what happens with that. I, I think I'm up for it. Our region, which is not just Pennsylvania, includes Ohio, West Virginia, and Kentucky. I know that's kind of a strange region. That's called Region 10 at present has no one on energy and commerce because Mike Doyle from Western Pennsylvania retired and he had a spot on that. So I'm, I'm very hopeful about that. And if that happens, some of my other committees will have to, will continue to be areas of interest for me. But when you're on the select committee, you, you have very limited ability to be on other committees. You are listening to what should be by now a familiar voice to uh, That's Susan Wilde, our member of Congress from the 7th District in Pennsylvania. Uh, this is uh, the Jennings Report on WDIY. I'm your host, Alan Jennings. Uh, Susan, you participated in a fairly long congressional tour of the Middle East last month. What would you say the benefits uh, to your constituents were? Do you have any sense of that? Sure. So the trip that I just took was between Christmas and New Year's. It is a trip that I did back in 2019 as well, and I would have done it in 2020 and 2021, except that COVID had happened. It's designed as a trip to visit our troops um, who are serving in the Middle East. And so the timing is important, that Christmas to New Year's timing. Because of the timing, it's sometimes difficult to recruit members of Congress to go on the trip. They've got their family plans and that kind of thing. But it's always a bipartisan trip. And first and foremost, let me just say, I think it's incredibly important that we go bring cheer to our troops who are away from home during the holidays. Yes. That's, that's the foremost point of the trip. In addition, while we are there 
and we do a lot of fun things with the troops. We created a little choir, a bipartisan choir, and um, <laughs> sang Christmas carols to them, and none of us are going to be quitting our day jobs anytime soon. Uh, That's great. <laughs> I will assure you of that. We do Christmas tree decorating. I mean, just all kinds of, you know, typical holiday things. But we also spend a lot of time on classified briefings with foreign leaders and with our own embassy personnel in each country. So this trip consisted of, we landed in Bahrain. And by the way, we spent one day in each of these locations, or maybe one day plus an overnight. It's a quick trip. but So we went to Bahrain, Kuwait, Qatar, and then Greece, which was, I had never done the Greece portion. That was not part of the 2019 trip. Fascinating Really, uh, there's a there's a base there that is devoted to surveillance drones, not the kind of drones that take out people or places. The drones that are surveillance that literally travel with our jets, and the drones fly ahead of them, almost undetected, and can see where the pilot needs to avoid. And it's we learned all of this. It was really just a fascinating experience. Also got to ride on a Black Hawk helicopter, which I can't say had ever been on my bucket list, but boy, was that oh, an amazing experience. So having said all of that, we get these classified briefings, which are really, really important. I, for, I'll give you an example. When we were in Qatar, which is incredibly close to Iran, and which has actually served as, you know, Qatar has its problems in the nature of human rights issues, and we did press the foreign minister a lot on that. Aside from holding the recent very successful World Cup, you know, Qatar has been a real ally in terms of trying to be an intermediary for the United States and has also been incredibly helpful in helping us to remove people from Afghanistan. And by the way, that is an ongoing thing that people think that Getting people out of Afghanistan is over and done with. I, we learned on this trip, for the first time, and none of us knew this, that we are still removing SIV applicants, SIV is Special Immigration Visa, which is a special category for those Afghans who were assisting the U.S. troops. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we gave them pref- we're giving them preferential treatment, of course, and they are most at risk because right. they yeah. aided the U.S. But there are also um, Afghans who, for a variety of reasons, are still being allowed to leave the country. And Qatar has been incredibly important in terms of facilitating that. And I'm not going to say more than that, but, you know, that's the kind of thing you learn when you're over there, those details. Don't you want to just go into Afghanistan and and gather up all the women and and help them get the heck out of there? Yes, and Iran, by the way, but Uh. neither one of those is possible. But that's exactly, you know, why we these relationships with these other countries are so important, particularly in the Middle East, where, which, of course, is such a hotbed. And we need to be allies with these countries, with Kuwait, with Qatar, with Bahrain, because we need them, quite frankly. They need us, but we yeah. need them. And so that's all really important. And let me just say, I don't, I don't want, want to end this without mentioning the value of a bipartisan CODEL. So a lot of people don't understand that when we go on these trips, we are literally in it. Like this was, I want to say, about seven or eight of us, evenly split between Democrats and Republicans. And you find yourself 
up close and personal with people that you might not have ever even thought you were going to talk to. And you develop these close relationships because you're on a plane with them for many, many hours. You're eating dinner with them. You're going to meetings with them and you can't help but get to know them. And so I'm going to tell you just real quickly, if you remember the name Joe Wilson, the congressman from South Carolina, who actually during Obama's State of the Union address called out, you lie, and was, you know, vilified for that, and appropriately so. Well, he was on the trip and frankly, you know, isn't somebody that I thought I would ever be able to work with. (laughs) He actually, to make the story quick, he has long since publicly apologized for his outburst and he did so shortly thereafter, and President Obama publicly accepted his apology. I didn't know that until the trip. Looked it up. Sure enough, that all happened. But he and I developed a really nice relationship. He is somebody that I, he, I'm i going to be able to work with on legislation. He's very, don't get me wrong, he's very, very conservative, but he's not part of any cuckoo caucus. You know, yeah. he's, he, he, he's very dismayed at what's going on in his own party. And we talked about areas of common interest, and that's really important for the functioning of our government, that we have relationships across the aisle. We can disagree on a whole lot of things, but if we can find one issue that we agree on, that we can move a piece of legislation forward, then that's how things get done. And so those are the, the benefits of these codels. And again, I circle back to the fact that the most important part of it is going and seeing our troops over the holiday. And we had a great time putting on Santa hats and being their servers in the Christmas dinner line, um, which great. was just a terrific time. And I met lots and lots of Pennsylvania soldiers, men and women, who I sat with. I posted some pictures on our website. Just really a wonderful overall experience, and I hope to do it again in the future. Susan, we've run out of time. Um, We're lucky to have you. Uh, Thanks for taking the time to talk to the listeners at WDIY, and uh, wish you well and wish you the best in the interest of uh, this great country. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Alan, and Happy New Year to you and to all your listeners. You're listening to The Jennings Report on WDIY. I'm your host, Alan Jennings. We just heard from Susan Wilde, our member of Congress. Next up, my final thoughts. We're going to take a quick break, and I hope you'll stick around. The following thoughts and opinions do not necessarily reflect those of WDIY, its affiliates, staff, members, and volunteers. Welcome back. You're listening to The Jennings Report on WDIY. I'm your host, Alan Jennings. And these are my final thoughts. What are the limits of our tolerance of dysfunction, disrespect for our democratic form of government? Really our epic failure as Americans to assemble our collective wits to correct the problems our modern society generates and at least ease the burden and pain of those we cannot. So many of our problems have solutions. We can end hunger. We can house the homeless. We can cool our planet, educate our kids, heal the sick, protect our civil rights and liberties, and improve productivity. We can love our neighbors, extend the lives of our parents and our grandparents, build a car that gets 100 miles per gallon, end the senseless slaughter of our children to automatic weapons as they are being educated. We have the means. We simply lack the will. People like Lauren Boebert, Alex Jones, Steve Bannon, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Stuart Rhodes, and of course that traitor, who proudly watched his personal militia beat American law enforcement officials and trash our own capital. To this day, he has been unrepentant. 
for his crimes of leading an insurrection, cheating on his taxes, lying to everyone about everything. He continues to golf while so many of his allies are in jail or will be. We the people have got to know better. Let's heal ourselves as a nation. A divided nation can't tackle serious problems. A divided nation cannot possibly make any claim to being a great nation. Great nations don't turn on their own. They don't leave anyone behind. They don't turn their backs. They face their demons. They reconcile. They repent. They forgive. I have often used the metaphors of how people behave in a grocery store versus how they behave on the road. Cars are the place where road rage occurs. In a grocery store, it's, excuse me, go ahead, no, that's okay, I'm not in a hurry, you go. Why? I think it's eye contact. It's easy to stand on your horn, flip the bird, tailgate when you can't see into the eyes of the target of your ire. So turn off the TV. Go say hello to your neighbor. Ask how they're doing. Offer to help them with whatever they're doing. Instead of calling your elderly parents, go visit them. Tell them you love them. Join the block watch, the PTA, the Rotary Club. You want to make America great again? Call the mayor and ask him for a list of volunteer projects. The most contentious of our challenges seems to be immigration. Frankly, as opinionated as I am, I must be honest and admit that I just don't know what the solution is. But I can say that there has to be room to be more understanding and even sympathetic to the incredible lengths those to our south will go in order to come north. Can we be better? Absolutely. Might it be painful? No doubt. But we owe it to ourselves, our friends, our families, other Americans, and the rest of the world to try harder than we have been lately. Now let's go grocery shopping. That's it for my final thoughts. I'm Alan Jennings, host of the Jennings Report on WDIY. Thanks for listening. Hope we'll be back next time. (music) 